If you were able to get the institutions just a 1% allocation, that's a trillion dollars worth of buying. So now you're talking about a million dollar Bitcoin. Smell the fucking roses. The opportunity's there. You gotta get on the bandwagon to solve this problem. Hello there from New York City. How are you all? How are you all doing? It's so good to be back in the US and also back in New York. I do love this city. I know it's a bit weird here right now with the need to prove your vaccine or your negative PCR test to get into a restaurant. But I do love this city and I have missed it. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview with Kevin O'Leary, where we're going to be discussing ESG and institutional investment in Bitcoin. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And this week I'm kicking off with Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, for you new Bitcoiners out there, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. I bought a Nano S back then, and I'm still using that bad boy now. Ledger makes it easy for you as a Bitcoiner to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And if you are an Android phone user, you can connect that to your Nano S and manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I've still not sold a single sat through Gemini. We're in a bull market. Why would I be selling my Bitcoin? Now, I've started using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Next up, we have my newest sponsor, which is Compass Mining, but they're not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of Compass. I bought myself five S19s. And you know what? I've been mining for 29 days, and I've just about hit 0.1 Bitcoin mined, which is close to being worth $5,000. So for a month of mining, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool over the space of a year. looks like at that rate, I'll be able to pay off my miners in a year. Unless Bitcoin goes absolutely crazy, then I'll be in profit sooner. Anyway, look, it's good to be back mining. I really fucking love these guys. Compass makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded, and anyone can now mine Bitcoin with Compass. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility, and they will do all the other work for you. If you are interested in mining and want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. And also, let's talk about BlockFi, who recently announced the launch of the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card is the easiest way to do this because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all card purchases and there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats as you get Bitcoin with every purchase. Not only that, in your first three months, you get 3.5% back in Bitcoin and everything you spend over $50,000 annually, you will get 2% back. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Okay, so onto the show today, and this one is a banger. I've got Kevin O'Leary on, who I met up with at Salt in New York City. Kevin is known as one of the celebrity investors in the American reality show Shark Tank, but his business ventures involve investment and capital management as well, and he recently started allocating to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining companies. And I think this is an interesting area of discussion because some of these people who may be now investing in Bitcoin or Bitcoin companies may not be there for the values that other Bitcoiners have. And maybe we'll be more compliant with things like ESG, which I know other people aren't particularly happy about. I've spoken to Marty Bent about this. I've read his emails. So this is an area of discussion. Will we be bending the knee to get institutional investors in? And I'm not really sure the growth of your personal portfolio is worth that. So I will be covering this a bit more. I'm going to try and twist Marty Bent's arm, get him on the show, because I definitely want his perspective on this as well. Um, I don't agree with Kevin everything in this show, but it was great to talk to him, got to talk about a few other things, not just ESG compliance, but also the fundamental shifts underway in real estate and supply chain. So I hope you enjoy this one. As ever, if you want to reach out to me, if you've got any questions, my email is hello at whatbitcoindid.com, or you can jump into my Telegram group. All right, onto the show. I hope you enjoy this one. We're actually winging it a bit this morning because American Airlines lost my luggage. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Like it's probably in Phnom Penh, Cambodia right now. It's in Cincinnati. Oh, that's good. 
So I was rushing this morning. I had to go to Bloomingdale's and get new clothes. Yeah, yeah. So they'll get it to you tomorrow, I guess, right? Later today. That's good. Yeah. I wanted to be smart for you. I, I never check luggage. Ever? Ever. Because you're never going to see it again. Problem is, I'm out here for two months, so I've got a lot of luggage. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, that's a problem. So, uh, nice to meet you, man. Yeah. It's great to get you on the number one Bitcoin show. Absolutely. Pomp, Pomp will be uh, a bit jealous. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell him right away. <laughs> i got a bunch of things I want to talk to you about. Let's go. Because I'm not sure if you're a Bitcoin guy yeah. or just like a guy hunting for yield and making money. I know you've uh, invested a bit in mining. I know you're on the verge of interest, but I don't know if you like really care like the crazy Bitcoiners. You know, I, I would say that um, I'm viewing it now... Uh, think about think about me as an investor. I have a mandate to deploy capital, and generally, I work in the world of eleven sectors in the S and P five hundred. And I'm trying to beat the index both here and in Europe and in Asia uh, by investing in companies either in their debt or their equity. So, for a long time, crypto um, was interesting, but it wasn't where institutions were going. And I serve the institutional and, and market and the. Uh, foreign, uh, you know, pension plans and sovereign funds, and I talk to them every day. And so, what I'm interested in doing is understanding where they're going because I, I'm a service entity for them. I index, mm -hmm. so they say, "Look, I want to index uh, psychedelics." Uh, you know, MindMed is one of my companies. Now there's three others, and they've raised billions of dollars. And we're going into the ex exploration of psychedelics as medicine, not as recreational drugs, FDA approved, etc. So. What's interesting now about crypto, I don't consider crypto Bitcoin or Ethereum, okay? Yes, they were the, the pioneering assets, but I'm considering crypto as the 12th sector of the S&P. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been declared that yet, but I think that's where we're going. And so when you talk about running a mandate like I do um, for, in, for institutional clients or institutional mindset, they say to themselves, okay, in, in a normal world where I understand each of the 11 sectors of the S&P, I may allocate, the, the largest I would allocate would be 20%, let's say, to technology. That's generally the max in a mandate. And maybe you do 3% in energy because your ESG concerns are there and all the rest of it. But you're, you're dabbling in all 11. I'm now dabbling in crypto as if it was the 12th. So that means I don't need um, a mandate to do that. I'm doing that because I'm able to get my compliance department to agree on certain coins, tokens, assets, but they have no interest in just buying Bitcoin. I get Bitcoin. That's one asset. It's just like when you say, I'm going to have 20% in tech. There's a thousand companies to choose from to build that position. So for me now to, to actually get into crypto, I need multiple positions because I'm mandated to have diversification. So yeah, I own Bitcoin. Yes, I have some Ethereum. I have some Litecoin. I have some USDC, but there's much more coming. And I'm at 3% right now waiting in a mandate. That's not a lot. I'm on my way to 7% by year end. That's a lot. And that's starting to be where I consider myself a participant in this market. But I'm having to do it different than maybe you or Pomp or a lot of the guys that were pioneers. I don't have the option to be a cowboy. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I have three problems on that front. Number one, I have to get my internal compliance officer to agree. Number two, I have to get my external auditor to sign the audited statements that then turn into reports to the regulators in every jurisdiction that I participate in. I cannot afford to be offside for one second. So that's taken a lot of time. That ain't easy. And, and that is where we sit. And I, I'd say to you, that's good and bad news. It's good news that I've been able to do it. It took me almost half a year. But the upside is that there's trillions of dollars of the people I service that want to do the same thing. If we could just get the regulator on side to tell us what the rules are, it's like football. You can't play football if you don't know the rules. We need the rules. Then you're going to get a massive allocation to crypto. What is 7% in real numbers? I don't say because it goes across multiple okay. mandates. And, you know, we're, we're, uh, we have rules about disclosing okay. dollars because it's not always our money. And are these people just kind of aware that this is a crypto thing and they know they should do it and they just trust you with your money? Because in my world, like my show is what Bitcoin did. I, right. I 95 to 98% of our content is Bitcoin. 
we occasionally discuss other projects. So I might discuss Ethereum if I wanted to talk about stablecoins or do the comparisons. But in my world, Bitcoin is very different from crypto. I, I actually consider them two different things. All they share is the fact that they're both user blockchain and cryptography. Yeah. But what they are trying to achieve, for me, are very, very different things. So is there just this wider... Uh, desire for people to invest in crypto and they don't really care what it is and it's for you to decide the investments. No, it, when it comes to crypto, because of the compliance and the regulations and where we're at, I don't put other people's money into crypto mandates. I'm very fortunate to have my own operating companies, multiple operating companies that I control in, in, in the case where this crypto is 100% control. So I am, a, a lot, but I have to be compliant anyways because when you have a compliance department, it's because you've been able to grow business. I have multiple uh, investments in financial services companies, many of them which are, are reporting and regulated. So I can't be offside. It's because I'm a shareholder in these companies. And so. What do you mean by offside? So let me give you an example. Back in 2017, when I took my first position um, in, in crypto, the regulatory environment was nothing less than toxic, all right? At, at that time, regulators around the world were sending out uh, complaints to all kinds of people that were trying to tokenize all kinds of assets, including one here in New York, a hotel. It was a, you know, a, a poop show. And you can say a shit show. Yeah, it, it was, it was and, and you just can't get involved in that when you're, you, you're, you're, you're reporting and being compliant in many other jurisdictions. And so that at that point, I was just, you know, my own compliance department said, you, you got to stop talking about this stuff. You got to stay away from this stuff. This is just an environment that is brutal. Over time, in particularly the last 24 months, you've seen Switzerland, Germany, France, England, Canada, a jurisdiction that cooperates with regulars in the U.S. in total harmony, launch ETFs with their primary asset being Ethereum and Bitcoin. So the tonality of that, that regulatory environment has changed dramatically. We're, we're, you're starting to see the regulator you know, talking about, let's discuss these asset classes, let's get into a dialogue about it. And as a result, I've been able to be more flexible about my own position and come out and disclose just a few months ago that I'd taken on a 3% position in our operating company of specifically Bitcoin and a few others. Uh, but I agree with you on the thesis you have on Bitcoin because when I talk to, let me give you an example, which is I think is very intuitive what you said there. Mm -hmm. Let's say I'm talking to a sovereign fund, all right? Let's say, um, and, and they have 500 billion and they want to deploy um, into crypto for the first time and they're going to put a small weighting, 1%. The reason they haven't done it yet is not because they're having a debate about whether they want to. They want to, but they have a compliance department that includes an ESG committee, which determines which assets get to the investment committee first, because every single asset is, is viewed with that particular uh, uh, you know, sovereign fund by the merits of sustainability. And so just you know, at, at Bitcoin 2021, you're, there was a huge debate going on. Elon Musk was involved. I'd made some statements about it because I'd learned from the pensions that they weren't going get to in, get involved in it because it was not ESG compliant. The Chinese were burning coal to make electricity, to mine and get awarded coins. That was a nightmare. And, and so the reason Bitcoin is, is you know, still not yet an institutional product is we have not got around this issue of sustainability. It's getting addressed, and I'll give you an example. This is a shout out to a company I am a shareholder in, HUD8, all mm -hmm. right, Jamie Leverton. Yeah, she's great. She is great. Um, I met her th through a real estate transaction, and uh, we started having a discussion, like we, you and I are right mm -hmm. now, but ESG, she said, look, I'm, a, I'm ESG compliant. But what I like about her company is that I can buy her equity, which I did at that time, I think I'm up 69% in, in the mandate that that's in, because she claimed, and she was right, that she is in direct vol. In, in other words, the correlation between the price of Bitcoin and her stock prices is one-to-one. -one. Mm -hmm. So she is keeping every awarded coin on her balance sheet. She doesn't sell it. She nope. loans it out to, to get fiat and pay her expenses. And as a result, she's a proxy for Bitcoin in a compliant way that many of us can invest in. So the model for her, and I talk to her about this all the time, is don't go buying assets that are not ESG compliant. 
If you continue to mine on an ESG-compliant basis and you're a woman and you have women management, because a lot of these sovereign funds demand compliance around diversification. I'm talking where, where there's billions of dollars, mm-hmm. not you know buying $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, where they want to allocate huge dollars. Her model is going to be the model of the future for miners, which is why I've made my biggest bet with her. Every time she looks at a new mining operation, it's got to be 100% ESG. That means it's going to push her to solar. It's going to push her to wind. It's going to push her to any compliant way, maybe you know, burn off of gas and, and use it productively as she does in northern Alberta. But you're ta- Bitcoin, to me, as that asset class, is not a currency. It is an asset because the, the plans I'm talking about, the, the sovereign funds, they want to buy the coin and never sell it, mm-hmm. never trade it. So if they felt that they could buy her stock, for example, and know that she would you know, guarantee them that, that she would only mine new awards sustainably and she never would sell the assets, they may consider that as their proxy for Bitcoin, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a big opportunity for them and other miners as well. So I talk to all the miners all the time. They're always soliciting funds, and I, I get it. But I, I can't ever be, because when, when I disclosed that I had you know, 3% weighting in Bitcoin and Ethereum, the first call I got were from all the guys that I know in the pension plan saying, do you know that those are sustainable or not? Do we own them or just you? Mm-hmm. Because we can't own them. And that's when I learned the product, about the problem. And it remains today. And the reason I say it's not a problem, it's an opportunity. If we solve this in the Bitcoin asset community, whatever you want to call it, you're going to see a trillion dollars worth of, of you know, fiat currencies going to Bitcoin as an asset, just like real estate. And I think you want to talk about $100,000, $200,000, you know, $250,000 coin price, it has to solve this problem. It won't get there until then. I haven't actually discussed, we haven't done ESG yet, have we, on the show? Um, Marty Bent did an interesting show with Michael Saylor discussing it. And one of the funny things I find about ESG is, uh, 95% of the conversation seems to be about the E, <laughs> not the S and the G. And um, you, you, you know, uh, you must know Dan Moorhead at Pantera. Sure, sure. Yeah, did you read the Pantera thesis where they covered why actually? Yeah, I have read the it. E. Yeah, the, I have the, read the it. social and governance. Bitcoin's actually a great tool for social and governance. It, it is, but it, here's the here's the. Um, the delta between the thesis of that, call it a white paper if you wish, mm-hmm. and then the reality is when when you meet an ESG committee, okay, that's sitting on top of the investment committee of any any institution, and they, they even have ethics committees now because they don't want to invest in places where human rights are abused. There's all kinds of these filters coming in. You can have a discussion about how many fairies dance on the head of a pin with an ESG committee, but it doesn't matter if they don't agree. And so they, they, what they want to know is, are hydrocarbons being burnt in the creation of the energy used to get a coin awarded, all right? Mm-hmm. Yes or no. Mm-hmm. Binary. Yes or no. And you can't give them the theory about how it's good that there's more efficiency being built into the models for miners and their stacks and efficiencies and all that stuff. They don't give up shit. What they want to know, are you burning any hydrocarbons? If your answer is, oh, well, sort of, kind of, sort of, you're, you, you, they just can't invest. But we're a long way off at zero. Well, I think what we're going to need to, to get, because my thesis of owning coin now is I do believe over time we're going to solve this problem with the idea that miners, the next generation of miners, are going to say, look, they'll go to the ESG committees first and say, I'm going to put up a gig all right, of, of mining capacity. I'm going to put it up in West Texas. I'm going to use solar and wind when it becomes available. And I'll build it out 250, uh, you know, at, at a time. And I want you to give me 150 million and I'll give you equity in my, in my operation. That's coming. And that way there's no, and the investment committee says, what is this, an infrastructure deal? And it, that's what it is. If you can show that you can get 11 to 17% annualized return, which you could if you believed in Bitcoin, mm-hmm. you, would, you would write that check for $500, $600 million. That's the snack bracket of these funds. But they can't do it unless it's compliant with ESG. Where's the ESG pressure coming from? Is it, is it just themselves as a, as a I think you, I think you can blame Larry Fink's letter okay. each year. And I think he's a genius because he sets the mandate for the global 
consideration at the board level of ESG. You should probably explain who Larry Fink is. Well, the largest asset manager on earth is mm -hmm. BlackRock. And he writes a letter each year and he sends it to every CEO of a company he's invested in. And it basically sets the rules by which they should govern their companies regarding sustainability and climate change and all kinds of other issues that Larry believes in. Now you can ignore it at your peril because if he puts a position on in your company, he's going to be one of the largest shareholders, period. And so he's on a mission and I, I think it's a noble one. He himself has to struggle with the definition of what ESG is, but he has changed the tonality of the S&P 500 in just 36 months. And the reason, and I'll give you an example of how you can test this thesis. You look at the price earnings ratios of the entire energy sector. They have been going down, even though earnings have been going up since he started this thing. He started saying, we don't want to mine oil out of the ground. We don't want to transport these hydrocarbons. We want to get rid of them and find a sustainable method for energy. And that whole sector got crushed and it continues to underperform. Why? Because the incremental buyer, the institution that is you know, also reading that letter says, um, Chevron, no thanks. You know, basically, we don't want it. I've been in the same pressure to remove those names from some of the indices that, that, that I'm involved in. And I love energy. I think it should have a place. And these companies are spending billions to come cleaner and they're incentivized to do it. It doesn't matter, their price earnings ratios are getting crushed. So going right back to the beginning of your question, that's what happened. And, and it's, it's global. It's global. So he will, he will basically set a tone that disfavors non-sustainable companies and favors those that are sustainable and they're rewarded with higher price earnings ratios. Same thing for Bitcoin. It will have a higher PE when you can say that coin was mined sustainably. And I think that's why we're talking about these massive new opportunities. I mean, there's two, there'll be two types of people who will listen to this. There'll be somebody, I think, like a Michael Saylor who will agree with you and I think he considers Bitcoin as more of an investment, you know, a sensible investment, uh, a place to store his uh, his money, and, and a moonshot to become one of the richest people in the world. But there's that kind of person. But there's also the kind of person like Marty Bent, who debated him, said, I don't care about these people. Bitcoin can take its time. We don't need an acceleration in growth. They come more from a moral standpoint about having good, sound money and uh, censorship-resistant money for people in all difficult locations around the world. And so he feels like any kind of compliance with ESG is bending, bending the knee to someone else's narrative. And it's two very distinct crowds, and I'm sure you're aware like there are sub-communities sub in Bitcoin. Oh, some, my goodness. Some are quite radical, yeah. and, and they, they're just like, I don't give a fuck about these people, excuse my language, yeah, no, but I, they don't. I, I told, and believe me, I hear from those constituencies too. My point is, I live in the real world. So if you're an owner of Bitcoin and you want to see a $100,000 price on that coin in the near future, you have to, you have to address this issue. And I'm sorry because for all the excitement you know, at a conference like this and the discussion we're having with Bitcoin, I bet you no more than 4% of institutions globally even touch it. They don't give a shit. They're not going to. And so my opportunity, the way I look at it is they say, well, if I can be part of the solution and I'm going to invest in miners that are part of the solution, I'm going to be rewarded because I'm solving for trillions of dollars that want to play that won't. They don't care what the radical, you know, I, I love, you know, the, the, the community. I get it. And I hear this debate every day. But then I go back into my office and I look at my, you know, my, my board and I look at trillions of dollars of institutional money flowing around in assets that have, have been approved for decades, and none of it's Bitcoin, none of it. And, and Fink said the same thing just three months ago. He said, we don't give a shit about Bitcoin. He didn't say that. He just said, nobody asks us about it because no one's going to buy it. The thing's not ESG compliant. Bingo. That's the opportunity. He just set the rules. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's a danger in Bitcoin. I mean, when you say radical, so others would say principled. And I love like, principled, yeah. but radical principled. One man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. It's the same thing. Yeah, but the principles of what's happened with Bitcoin, how it's been built, has been built around quite solid principles. And some of these people will say, well, who is this Larry guy? Do we need him? Who cares? If the institutions don't want it, fine. Michael Saylor can have it. Elon Musk can have it. They'll come eventually. 
Why did Musk do a 180 turn on taking coin uh, for the purchase of his vehicles? I'll tell you why. This is my speculation, okay? I'll tell you mine if it's different. All right, let's see. So he makes his decision. He goes out there. His, his majority of his investors in Tesla are institutions now. That is an institutional company. Mm-hmm. And he's been rewarded a very high PE because they believe in his vision for the future. Along comes uh, this idea to pay for your Tesla in Bitcoin. All of those institutions have ESG committees, 99% of them are on the sustainability model. They know that there's a debate going on regarding coin and the mining of it in China, non-compliant ethics issues, ESG issues, burning coal to make coin. They just called them up and said, no fucking way. You know, we invested in Tesla, not this debate about ESG. That's my thesis. Yeah, I think you're probably right. And um, I suspected there was also probably some internal dialogue, a little bit like when Spotify took Rogan. There was these internal debates about some of the shows and guests he had, and 20 shows were censored. I have a feeling he fought a bit of an internal battle over that one as well. But the problem with that, Kevin, is that I would rather Elon Musk just sold his coins. And I'm sitting in the field of people who say, look, I would love 100,000 Bitcoin, but at what cost? Am I here for $100,000 Bitcoin because it makes me wealthy? Or am I here because there is a currency now that I've just been down to El Salvador again for like my fifth time and I've seen the difference it's making to people's lives. Or am I here for that? Therefore, do we risk Bitcoin? Do we risk centralizing it? Do we risk destroying what it is by bending the knees for the investors? And that's what I don't know. And I do wrestle with that. Yeah, I think it's a great debate, but I don't think Bitcoin's ever going to be centralized. It's going to be regulated, but never centralized. And I think to the fact that, um, as as we started this dialogue earlier, I, like you, believe in it as an asset. I own it. I've never traded it. I'm never going to sell my coin. It's it's to me it's it's the building I used to own in Boston that I sold for cash. I mean it's sort of, you know it, it's it's something that I think over time will beat the indices and and hedge me against inflation. It's similar to gold, which I also own, but maybe in a better performing way. And I need to get all the roadblocks out of its way. I I, I don't want to have this ESG debate about it anymore. I, and I'm part of that debate. I'm I'm one of the voices that have been saying this now for two years. We got to address this issue. And again, it came up at the panel I was on today. It's the same story in that audience. Every time I come to these conferences and I do a panel, I look into the audience and I see the same institutions that I serve indexing with baseball bats on hats on and and sunglasses they don't want to be seen here they, they don't want to be seen here but they're really interested in this asset class and in that room i bet you 20% of the people today i don't know there are 3000 people in there are involved in financial services there you can tell who they are because they're wearing a hat and they got sunglasses on because they're not ready to declare their players yet, but they want to figure out what are the rules and when will the regulator approve it because it will be allocated. And I think when you're talking about $500 billion sovereign fund and they allocate 1%, you're talking real money. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you as an, 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 an owner of a coin uh, are going to vastly be worth a lot more than before their participation. So what well, we can have this debate about the community mm. and you know, moral obligations and centralization, decentralization, but if you were able to get the institutions just a 1% allocation, that's a trillion dollars worth of buying. So now you're talking about a million dollar Bitcoin. That's why I'm in the game. And so I'm happy to have this dialogue saying, mm. everybody wake up and understand, smell the fucking roses. It's there, the opportunity's there. You gotta get on the bandwagon to solve this problem for them. Next up, I talk to Kevin more about institutional investment. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. And I'm just going to kick off now with Excess Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. Now, as many of you know, the listeners who've been listening to my show for a long time, I'm always going on about UX because UX is super important to me. It's super important for onboarding new users to Bitcoin. I'm helping them understand and manage Bitcoin easy and safely. And you know what? Exodus crushed this. The Exodus desktop wallet gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address known that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out yourself at Exodus. 
exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Next up, we have Castle, which is the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now for God and passwords, SIM swaps and phishing attacks. There are way too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen, but with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again because a Casa multi-sig wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, and you get to distribute these wallets into different locations, and that is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, I've been a customer for about a year, so if you have any questions, you can hit me up on Twitter or drop me an email. Happy to answer any questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. And lastly, this week, and my friends over at sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're such badasses, they accept Bitcoin. And now the football season is well underway. Liverpool back on form, joint top, 10 points. Tottenham lost their first game. Normal order has been resumed. Now, if you like football, if you know that Tottenham are going to suffer this season, you know Liverpool are going to win the league, you want to take a bet on that, you just need to head over to sportsbet.io. But even if you don't like football, they've got everything else covered. They've got tennis, motorsports, US sports, they even have esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And how much issue is there with the regulators right now? Because, again, I, I can reflect on El Salvador, and we just see today that President Bukele announced that anyone invests in the country, they won't have to pay any capital gains tax on their Bitcoin uh, investments. And they just move really quickly as a country. They just make decisions and they move. And we've just seen Ukraine has announced that it's legal to own Bitcoin and it perhaps might become the next one. And we're seeing these smaller nation, dom- smaller nation dominoes falling. Yet here we are in the US where the majority of Bitcoin companies are. I expect the majority of Bitcoin wealth is. Yeah, it seems like the regulators are doing everything to hold it back. Yeah, no, it's a great observation. L- let me let me give you the answer from the um, pragmatic view of the big guys. Okay, mm. the guys I get to talk to all the time. Here's the way they look at it. Let's say you're running, I don't know, a hundred billion. All right, and um, your 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 job is to uh, you know work with your compliance department, work with your auditing uh, teams, and then of course report to the regulator in the jurisdiction you're in. Same thing all around the world. For a hundred years, those mandates have had the compliance infrastructure. So let me give you an example. When here here in New York, some guy running a billion dollar mandate right now. At 4.01 or a second after 4 o'clock, the systems will mark to market every position he has or her and say, and it'll go straight to the compliance department and they will see every single position and they, they have the AI to automate it. Let's say the mandate is you can't have more than 20% in any one sector of the S&P and you can't have more than 5% in any one position. That's a classic mandate, okay? If they go offside, even for a second during the trading day, the lights light up in the compliance department because it's a mark to market by the second because they have margin on there sometimes. So whether they buy a bond or whether they buy a stock or you know a, a future or whatever it is, those systems are infrastructure inside. And at 401, the compliance department checks the box, says everything's cool, all right? Then what happens is the auditor, the external auditor can at any time go and check that they're compliant because at the end of the quarter, they're gonna be asked to sign off on the, on the statements as an independent auditor. And those signed off statements then go through the reporting systems to the regulator. Now that infrastructure exists everywhere, in Switzerland, in Germany, in France. That does not exist anywhere for crypto. There is no infrastructure inside of that institution to deal with, okay, I'm gonna buy $10 million of USDC, and I'm going to write contracts for 30, 60, and 90 days on a loan. I'm going to pull in 5.5% interest and pay back in USD and then go back to fiat. You can do that with, you know, Circle if you wished. There is no infrastructure to do that. Where's, who, who approves that structure when, within the traditional so, market? So what happens is if you're a, a you know, XYZ fund company and mm-hmm. you are managing money for institutions like a university or a state, they won't give you a dime until their compliance people go see your system and that you're 100% compliant and you're able to report to them. What's missing in the crypto universe right now is the 
the investment in compliance infrastructure so that I can, just I'll give you my example. In my own operating company where I have to be compliant, I say, look, um, we just sold that commercial real estate. We've got a lot of cash. Our cash desk says we can only make 21 basis points. I'm going to buy a few million dollars. Let's just start with that. Let's just start with a small amount in the mandate and I'll show you how it works with USDC, the one I like. I like the USDC. I don't do Tether. Uh, I don't do DAI. I use USDC because I love the compliance that's being built over there at Circle. And my, comp- my compliance officer said, no. No, 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 no. no we, we are not doing that. I said, why not? We, because how are we, we going to report that? We have no way to mark to market that. How do we know? We, it's hybrid. It's, it's risky. The answer is no. The answer is no. The answer is no. And I said, no, we got to solve this. We're making, we're not beating inflation on the cash we just brought into the operation. We just sold real estate. And now in in our mandate, we're losing money every month because we're getting 21 basis points and inflation is 2%. And and, and my own compliance office that I pay that person, I pay them, but their arm's length from me said, no, not doing it. I said, well, I'm going to call the auditor. I call my own auditor and they said, no, not a chance. Are you out of your mind? We're never going to sign those statements. It took me six months to just do the first million. I mean, just to get that as an experiment to just show them it can be done because there's no, there's no infrastructure. And so it's very easy for you and I to just open up a wallet and mm-hmm. buy stuff. But if you want to play with the big boys, you got to solve this problem. And so that's the noise I'm making. I said it on the panel today. Jeremy was there. Sam was there from you know, FTX. And I got to disclose I'm a spokesperson for FTX and an investor with him now. Mm-hmm. And so and I, I, the reason I did that is I want to use his infrastructure for compliance. I'm, you know, he's got the biggest global infrastructure ever. And, and he, can be, he can be compliant with my own auditors and, and my regulators in the various countries I operate in. So, you know, I, I look at this as a huge opportunity, but... Everybody thinks it, the, it's ready to go. It's not ready to go. It's, it, it, there's, there's much work to be done to make it so that some guy running a, you know, 100 billion says, okay, put 10 billion into, uh, into DAI or put it into uh, USDC just for the overnight and, the no, and not have a, a red light blow up in the compliance department saying, what the hell is that? What is that thing? You're non-compliant, eh, 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 you know, like the phones, yeah. and the, the army runs down to his office and shoots him. Like, think, think about that. <laughs> that's what, that was, that's yeah. what happened today. And so that's what we're trying to solve for. And, 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 and a lot of people don't understand that opportunity. To me, it's an opportunity. And so when I see these companies emerging, I think we're at 29 billion of USDC now. So there's people playing in it. That's, but that, you know, 29 billion sounds like a lot of money. It's nothing. It's nothing in the, in the global context. I mean, I think it's quite a lot. I know, but trust me, it's, it's not. It's not. It, it makes people think, oh, the institutions are involved. No, they're yeah. not. Yeah. It, it, Let me ask you something, because you talked about, in that uh, last moment, you talked about being in inflation. And what inflation number do people like you use? Because we see quoted government inflation, which is around 4 or 5%. Yeah. We see house prices shooting up. I speak to my friends who work in... Traditional trays, plumbing, carpentry, they're saying their prices are up 10, 15%. Yeah. The house I wanted to buy that I nearly bought last year, I think it's up 20%. How do you, what, what numbers do you guys use for inflation? Yeah, it's a great question because you, you've nailed it there. You've talked about sectoral inflation. And so there's input costs uh, going up in, in, uh, in many sectors. But real estate for a while, uh, and lumber was going through the roof, and, and you know, certain commodities were, were spiking. But... Right now, I think the right the way I look at it, when we we, we have a very large cash cash position in my operating company because we reduced our our commercial real estate over the last two years from thirty one percent down to eight. So I have to redeploy that. You don't do that overnight, mm-hmm. you know. So we're going to take crypto up to seven percent um, from three. So we're going to be working on uh, probably seventeen to twenty positions in different coin, different token, different chains. We're, we're doing that research now. Why did you reduce your real estate position so much? Um, uh, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a real estate guy from way back, and uh, I've lived through three cycles in real estate. And you look at cap rates, and okay. so when you see triple A Boston or New York trading in under three and a half cap rate, or you know under four even. Um, you know you're at the at the you're you're at the top. Now right. you don't know how long you're at the top, but you're at the top because cap rates 
are, are crazy, crazy, crazy low in those markets. And the risk you have is if interest rates go up, so do cap rates. And so you can lose 20% real fast. And so, you know, that was one situation. And I also saw what was happening in my, I've got investments in about 34 private companies. I've got commercial kitchens. I've got uh, wireless uh, charging. I've got insecticides. I've got beach chairs. I've got, you name it. And, in, in, you know, I do uh, FTA, um, not FTX, but PRX uh, gym equipment. I mean, these are companies that are really successful. And I watched what happened during the pandemic. And I saw that, you know, I, I, asked, I asked them in Q3 last year, what's your estimate for use of, of corporate real estate for back office and for retail? Because in, in situations where I have a control position, I want to know what our CapEx is for next year. So back then we made the assumption, you may find this really interesting because I was stunned that 15% of our staff would not come back to the office after pandemic and specifically in the areas of, of our departments of compliance, accounting and logistics, like transportation stuff, because those jobs are always in cubicles in the basement. Mm. And I, I understood, you know, people would want to, they don't want to travel two hours a day um, they, they want to stay and raise their kids in the suburbs or take care of elderly parents, whatever it is. So we, we went with the idea that, you know, we would reduce our exposure square footage in Boston, primarily our head, headquarters in New York, Florida, Texas, and California. So we started negotiating a reduction of 15% with the REITs, primarily REITs, some private owners, but people we rent the space from and the retail stores. Here we are, you know, in September, so now two quarters have gone by. 55% of the staff will not come back, wow. not 15. And if, and if we make them, they'll just get another job. They don't want to come back. They don't want to, that's more than half. That's, that's in, in these private companies. And I think there's around 10,000 people, including the supply chain of these companies. There is a fundamental change in, 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 you know, the, in the way people don't want to go into a cubicle. In addition to that, some of my customers like Bed Bath & Beyond closed 200 stores. They, they're never reopening them. They're doing it all, curating it online, direct to consumers in sub suburban areas. I sell them product. Commercial real estate is fucked. <laughs> That's what I think. Well, I, I don't care if you're a movie theater or if, I'm not saying real estate, I said commercial real estate. There's law offices in Boston that have shut down one third of their space. They've got their, their, their partners working from home. They don't want to come back in. So you don't, instead of a four cap, maybe it's going to be a six cap. You're going to lose 20%. That's why. Do you think that's going to be remodeled to residential areas eventually? And No, I think it's going to be climate controlled storage. So what's going to happen is a lot of these buildings, Bed Bath & Beyond, for example, what I would th think is going to happen, there's going to be a new asset class emerge on a conversion. So in other words, let's say you've got to spend a million bucks to convert uh, an old uh, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond store into multi-pick-and-pack um, climate-controlled and then rent it to Amazon, rent it to Shopify, rent it to Facebook, whatever. And so that you have these, these uh, jurisdictions, including cloud kitchens, where people that live in these dense areas where these stores used to be have the benefit of having their product delivered to them within an hour or two hours. Mm -hmm. So that, it'll get repurposed. But that's not good for you if you're the owner now because mm. you're gonna have to sell that at a seven or eight cap or nine cap, maybe 11 cap. And, and, and you, you bought it at a three cap, you're gonna lose a shitload of money. And I don't wanna be part of that dance. And so no. that's my, look, I may be wrong, but I don't think so. Back to the inflation point, sorry, because yeah. I interrupted you. No, no, Because no, no that, that was fascinating, but just uh, love to know what you use as your measure of inflation. So right now, um, we are taking a combination of what you talked about, looking at our input costs, and at the same time, uh, looking at what the government data is. I think inflation right now is running just under 3%. So combined across all sectors. And so when you're talking about making 21 basis points on cash, you're losing a lot of money each year, and which is why there's so much interest in just stable coins. Because right now, contracts for stable coins are running at anywhere, depending on duration, uh, from 3.8 up to, I just wrote some contracts for five and a half um, yesterday. So, you know, I'm, 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 and I'm, I have to drag my compliance people screaming into this because nobody understands what USDC is. I mean, it, you can go online and read about it, but they just say, wait a second, how do we know this isn't gonna go to zero? 
I said, how do you know the, the U.S. dollar isn't going to get slaughtered with inflation concerns? How do you know any fiat currency isn't going to have a problem? You simply don't know. But because we have no infrastructure to report those trades and those contracts and no way for the external auditor to, to do it, it's very, very hard. I had to hire three people, three people just to do those contracts full time to be able to say, okay, here's the contract, send it to the compliance department, show them when it's, the duration is, show it to the auditor, you know, set the infrastructure up so the reporting works within our internal organization. And I'm just one guy. Can you imagine how hard mm. that is for, for, for massive institutions? They're not going to do it. Where's the yield on those stable coins coming from? It's, it's basically, if you understand the loan of the asset, I mean, mm -hmm. it's margin. It's basically a margin loan. That's what it is. That's the way you got to look at it. Mm -hmm. It's no different than you asking your prime broker to loan you money so that you can borrow 50% of your long purchase on a stock. Who's the borrower, though? Well, it's out there in the ether. There's a market for people that want to borrow stablecoin, that want to borrow Bitcoin, that want to borrow your mm. tokens, and they pay for them. And they're using it to stake positions, and maybe they're using margin. In other words, if you think Bitcoin's going to have a big move up, and you can use margin on it, maybe you simply borrow the coins and put 5x leverage on it. There's all, all kinds of trading like that going on. It's not illegal. It's risky. And the more volatility, you watch these contracts. You want, when, when Bitcoin has a big up or down day, your yield can go up 25 basis points. There's lots of people out who've been sounding the alarms about the global economy for a couple of years. Uh, I, I regularly speak to, you You all know Caitlin Long, I regularly mm -hmm. speak to her, and a, another guy called Travis Kling, I don't yep. know if you know him. Yeah, yep. I've regularly spoken to those two over the last few years, and they've brought it up a lot. And people seem very jittery now, but you're plugged in to investors and institutions. Is that... Is that the same experience amongst people? Are people jittery about the global economy? No. They're not. No, they're not. <laughs> um, actually, the economy here domestically is, is uh, better than anything I've ever seen in my investment career. I mean, I, you know, let me, let me give you the, the reason I think it's occurring. During the pandemic, first of all, we had all that stimulus, and we have you know, there's more maybe coming, we don't know. But... Let's take a business like um, Love Pop Greeting Cards, another one of my companies. They make greeting cards, okay? They're probably the fastest growing greeting card company in America. They're 3D greeting cards. They're, they're laser carved in Vietnam. Uh, you can go to Hudson Yards right across the road here and you'll find a Love Pop greeting card shop there. During the pandemic, all those shops are closed. And nobody buys greeting cards online. You buy it in an emotional purchase. Oh, it's my granny's birthday. I'm going to buy her mm -hmm. a card. It's my son's birthday. It's Easter. It's a holiday. And they're, they're point of purchase, emotional purchases in drug stores, train stations, and stores like Hudson Yards. That all goes to zero. The company um, did what all the successful companies did. They did the digital pivot. And they basically went online. Maybe they use Shopify, maybe they use something else, but they went out to the existing customers and says, hey, we're still in business, do you want to buy direct from us? Not thinking that many would. Well, we were all very wrong. That company got up to 80% of its business back direct. Now, why you care about that is when you sell through retail, you make 50 cents on the dollar. When you sell direct to your customer, your margins can be past 90%. So you can lose half your business and make more cash flow. So today in my portfolio of companies for the ones that survived, they are way ahead of forecast on cash flow, not on sales, but on free cash flow because they've converted their business direct to consumer. The S&P did the same thing. Nike, in a matter of five months, did what they thought would take six years. They're 50% direct consumer globally. That means Foot Locker means a lot less to them. Retailers, a lot less to them, and their margins go way up. It's reflected in the S&P. So you're, you're getting enhanced margins, enhanced cash flow, enhanced productivity, and this is the super bonus that nobody thought about. I mean, I, I couldn't even believe this would happen. It happened to me. We make 15% pre-tax in our portfolio when it's humming, and we get the weekly tear sheet on sales and free cash flow. 15% is the American dream. That's what you want. And what happened we think we're gonna make 17.5% this year. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible because we've cut our travel expenses, we've cut our retail space, we have cut all of that cost in having you know, employees in an office that now they work out of home. It's amazing. Isn't that, it, so that's obviously a, a, a continual kind of 
changing like evolution of the economy, more more business going online, and it's great for Nike, but maybe that's going to squeeze out some smaller retailers. Uh, so, who is this not good for? Because obviously, this is great for the big companies who've got the money and the budgets to build out this impressive e-commerce yeah. infrastructure. But there must be some people getting squeezed. Well, who's getting squeezed are are operators that don't understand direct to consumer models, that don't know how to use social media, that don't know how to photograph their product, can't produce fifteen on second videos. Even Nike. Um, I mean, you know. I, these days I teach primarily graduating cohorts of engineers in places like MIT, Harvard, Temple, um, you know, other, other colleges and universities because a third of an engineering class will, will start a business and I like to see the deals early. It's, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a good uh, relationship I have. I always tell people I used to before this pandemic, if you're going to go and put yourself 80, 90, $100,000 of debt going through you know, an education at a college. Pick a career that you can actually get paid. So you can pay I was reading about a guy this week. He did it and he's earning $40,000 a year. Yeah, okay. So, and I used to say, look, there's three disciplines that you should focus on. Number one is engineering. Number two is engineering. Number three is engineering. And if you have any spare time, do some engineering at night. And I would say, I love history, I love the arts, I think all that stuff is great, but you will starve to death if you do that. Now, I don't say that anymore, and I'll tell you why. My number one growing cost in my businesses today, videographers, editors, animators, story writers, I used to pay them nothing. They would beg for work. They would be lucky to make $15,000 a year and live in their parents' basements. That's not what's happening today. They are the most in-demand people, both corporately in the S&P 500 and in small business, because they're storytellers and they know how to tell the story of a product or a service direct to consumer. The economy has changed. Now, those people graduating out of, t- graduating out of Tish two blocks from here are, are some of the highly paid people in New York because they're artists. Who the fuck knew that would happen? I'll tell my son, he wants to come here and study at Parsons. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I just, Perfect. I'm wrong. I'm telling you, I was wrong. And now, I mean, you know, excuse my French, but I'm 100% wrong on that. And today I respect a great videographer, a great editor, a great storyteller, a, you know, a, a good animator. I beg on my knees to hire them because they're in such demand. And so the economy has changed and the losers are the ones that don't endorse that methodology of building a business direct to consumer which is a global franchise now, not just domestic. And so that's why the economy is booming. That's why the stock market hits new highs every week almost, because it senses a new America, a digital 2.0 America. There's a lot of people who disagree with that point. Yeah, well, they're not living they, the life I'm living in terms of working with real entrepreneurs. No, but they would say the S&P has continued to grow because the government have printed so much money. Yes, there's the underlying liquidity, and there's truth to that as well. But you know, you look at earnings, every single print this year in every sector, 60, 70, 80%, depending on the sector, beat their numbers after they've been upgraded, in some cases twice. So you think about that. You, you beat your earnings, and the analysts say, oh, we've got to upgrade the earnings, and then you beat it again. That's because you're enhancing your margin through direct consumer. You're enhancing your margin through cutting travel and entertainment costs. Whatever you're doing, there must be something like the the airlines. The oh no, the air. Listen, the airlines are completely screwed. Yeah, yeah. That's like, what but I look, I'm saying there are losers. Yeah, yeah. That's that, what. That, that, but that's what I was looking at. But who are the losers? Yeah, well, as well, yeah. That you've picked a good. I'll tell you, the losers. Energy companies are losers because they're nobody wants to own their stock anymore. Airlines are completely screwed because they made the assumption that business travel would come back to what it was and it would come back quickly. It is never coming back to what it was. It'll take decades to get it back to what it was. If, you want, if, you're, if I own the company and you want to take a flight somewhere, you got to write online a, like a five-page essay about why I'm going to make a 17% return on your trip because you don't need to go. Mm-hmm. You can Zoom it. You can do a, you know, Skype. You can do something. You do, you do not need to go there. And if you do need to go there, i got to get a return. It's going to cost me $5,000. How am I going to make $20,000 from your $5,000 trip? That's what I want to know. And if you don't have an answer, you're not going. And that's and the reason I'm able to do that now is I know with certainty you can do your job because you just did it for the last two years without flying mm. somewhere. So that's why it's really challenging for the business side. Now, the airlines say, great, we're going to do terrific work with consumers for holiday vacations. That's true. 
That's a shitty business. You fill up a tube with people at $79 and fly them to Disneyland, you make no money. And then you fly them back on the same ticket, that is a horribly shitty business. Yeah. Take United, they had an $8 billion deficit on their balance sheet debt. I think they're over 20 billion now, and that was just 18 months ago. The balance sheet's upside down. I'm short that stock, I'm short all the airlines. They're not going to zero, but those stock prices are going down. The heartbreak of the Delta virus and the concern of new derivatives of these diseases every year are gonna keep a lot of people out of, you know, think about airlines. Some of them are saying you have gotta be vaxxed, you gotta prove it, like we're at this conference, you gotta show your card to get mm -hmm. in here. And secondly, some airlines say, oh, we don't care. You don't even, you know, maybe you wear a mask, maybe you don't. So you're gonna bifurcate that market into, here's a tube that you pay more to get into because everybody's vaxxed, and here's a death tube. You pay less because maybe half the people have the new virus variant of the virus, you know, you don't know. And so I'm not getting in the death tube at any price. I'll try, you know, if I'm gonna fly, I'll go into the safe tube. But they're just cattle cars with people in them. I mean, not to, I'm not trying to diss the airlines, but they're just buses. Mm. You gotta think of it that way. Well, listen, we've uh, come right to the end of our time far too quickly. I could have probably chatted you for another Really class. enjoyed it. We'll have to do it another time. Um, j just, to, just to close out question, just because we hear our, we are at a conference and a lot of my listeners are a range of uh, people with different careers, different jobs. Um, a lot of them write to me and you know, most of them are just trying to create a, a good retirement for themselves and build up. What's wrong with that? No, it's a great thing. But like I would say a good closing question for someone like you is like if somebody is you know, an early investor, what, what, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given or you give to people that just get into the world of investing? Well, diversification. But I will tell you in the last, you know, I've got a team of people that look at deals. Um, and over the last well, 18 months, when we look at, we, we look at deals on uh, Mondays at 10 o'clock, everything that's coming through the transom, we see a lot of stuff. And um, the ones that we've invested in, 60% are, are crypto or derivative of uh, DeFi because the, the growth potential in all of these opportunities, I mean, I should do a shout out to Wonderfy. It just went public in the Canadian New York Exchange uh, two weeks ago. Um, uh, I've got another one I invested in with a guy named um, Jordan Freed. He's uh, got Immutable Holdings. The ticker symbol will be hold. He owns the URL nft.com. Um, I, hmm. met, I met the guy when I, I'm launching an NFT in the watch space. Uh, I want to own that sector. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm an insane watch collector. I know all the royal collectors. I know all the manufacturers. What do you, which one do you wear in that? FP Journ, uh, one of 17 in the world. And, I feel... I feel. Like a peasant in my bright <laughs> So the point is, if I had an NFT for this watch, uh, authenticated by F.P. Jorn himself and the company, when it goes in the secondary market after my death, it'll be accredited. It won't be, because a lot of these watches get knocked off. Mm -hmm. And so when you start trading the secondary market in an important piece like a Patek, an Edmar Piquet, a Rolex maybe, um, you're going to find a real demand for authentication and the chain is the way to do it. And I, I don't think anybody is in a better position than I am to make that happen. Okay. But for that investment, it led me to Jordan Freed because he owns NFT.com. I said, listen, um, I, I need that URL because I want to go NFT.com forward slash watch. Got to charge a lot of money for that well, URL. So that URL is part of his portfolio and that company also is scheduled to be listed. And I'm now a shareholder in that. So, I mean, there's lots of derivatives we can talk about in the future, mm. but... That's an example of a deal. Instead of investing in you know, some other opportunity, that capital went to Jordan mm -hmm. because I really like the growth potential. It's risky, I get it, but he's a smart guy and I love his team and he's now in my portfolio. And everybody that's talking to me about NFTs, I say, meet Jordan, because look what he's got. Looky, looky here. Mm -hmm. He's got the URL and everybody goes, oh, I need that URL. Of course you need that URL. And he's reserved all of the big brands. So you, there's nobody squatting on, you know, nft.com forward slash Nike. He's got it and he's not stupid. So I think to me, that's a, see, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. There's so much opportunity in, in this crypto mm -hmm. and in, in decentralized finance that it just, your capital goes there first. That's what's going on here. So my portfolio now is almost half of it in, in, in these kinds of startups. Um, and, and now I'm building, you know, because I'm involved with uh, FTX, I'm using that platform for my compliance and Circle. Mm -hmm. And so I'm putting assets on there and bringing the whole compliance department screaming in, like, you know, just 
And, and those are the guys that are going to be winners because they have the they have the capital to be able to build out the infrastructure that we talked about mm. earlier. So, right, they're telling us to wrap up. Okay, we're going to have to do this again sometime. Yeah, because, it was great. Uh, really enjoyed to talk it. about. Appreciate your time. Yeah, man. you got it. Thanks. Ciao. Ciao. Okay, what did you make of that one? I think some of you will be listening to that thinking, "What are we doing? Let's not be compliant to these." institutional investors, let's not bend the knee, fuck this ESG stuff, but ESG is here. It is something which is coming from the boardrooms. So I definitely want to talk about it a bit more. I'm definitely going to twist Marty Bent's arm and get him on. And also, you should subscribe to Marty Bent's email because he discusses this a lot there. I've learned quite a bit about it from Marty. Anyway, listen, I hope you enjoyed this one. It's great to be back in New York. I do love it here. It is a bit weird. It's not It's not the same city it used to be, but the food's still fucking amazing. So I'm having a great time. It's, it's been great to catch up with a bunch of you all. Anyway, listen, if you've got any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can jump into my t- Telegram group. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, these days all I want is a review on Apple Podcasts. Just head over to Apple Podcasts. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Okay, have a great rest of your week and I will see you all soon. Bye.